have your Bible and you want to follow along with us, we're going to be in the book of John. We, uh, we do a lot of looking at verses. We study the Bible together because that's what church is really for. It's to learn the Bible and study the Bible. So we're going to be studying some stuff today. We've been going through the book of John um, slowly. John chapter 14 is where we will be. John chapter 14. Switching out. Now it's time. Hey, hello. How are you? Oh, also, before we jump ahead, um, we just want to give a prayer request. Um, uh, The Andinos, uh, uh, Kevin and Denise Andino, Stephen and Mark's parents, they received a disturbing phone call from a relative on the way to church today. Uh, Her name is Darlene. Uh, Seems to have had some kind of, um, this is the wife of your brother-in-law. She seems to have had some kind of psychotic episode. Um, Yesterday, this morning, recently. Uh, so she's not well. There's a family involved. So just pray for this woman, Darlene. We'll pray in a moment for her. Uh, and just keep that in your prayers. Just add that to your list. Just pray for God's help and God's mercy in that situation. Darlene is her name. Um, so let's pray for that now. Lord, just to help us now, I, I thank you again that we can approach unto you, Father. We lift up this woman, Darlene. Lord, you know the reason, the needs, and all those things, Father. And I pray you put that fractured mind back together. And Lord, just heal that family and help in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. We got our, we were in John 14. Say amen. amen. All right. Um, skeptics, and I don't know if you're one of them, but skeptics say that the Bible is full of contradictions. Have you ever heard that? Okay, good. I'm in the right auditorium. It's full of conflicts, it's full of discrepancies, it's full of inconsistencies, and very often those skeptics cannot show you one. So I'm going to help you today, I'm going to show you one. (laughs) Because the Bible is full of apparent contradictions. Differences that can always be resolved if you just give God a chance. And in John chapter 14, it contains an apparent contradiction in God's word. Read with me from verses 7 to 12 in John chapter 14. I'll read out loud. Uh, Jesus says, um, if he had known me, he should have known my father also. And from henceforth, you know him and have seen him. Philip saith unto him, Lord, show us the father and it sufficeth us. Jesus saith unto him, have I been so long time with you And yet hast thou not known me, Philip? He that hath seen me hath seen the Father. And how sayest thou then, show us the Father? Believest thou not that I am in the Father and the Father in me? The words that I speak unto you, I speak not of myself, but the Father that dwelleth in me, he doeth the works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father in me, or else believe me for the very work's sake. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that believeth on me... The works that I do shall he do also, and greater works than these shall he do, because I go unto my Father. Look at verse number 9. In verse number 9, Jesus Christ is claiming that if you've seen him, you've seen the Father. (laughs) Now, hold your place there and go to John chapter 1. I'm going to give you the contradiction. John chapter 1, verse 18. Jesus says, he that hath seen me hath seen the Father. Okay, that's a little weird, Jesus, but I'm I'm trying to stay with you. And then in John chapter 1, which is just a few verses prior, a few chapters prior, John 1.18, the book of John opens with this statement. John 1.18, do you see it? Say amen. Amen. No, I was weak. Say amen. amen. All right, there we go. No man hath seen God at any time. Jesus says, he that has seen me has seen the Father. And then the Bible also says, no man has ever seen God. So, which is it? That, my friends, is an apparent contradiction. So the next time a skeptic says, oh, the Bible's full of contradictions, and you say, show me one, and they say, oh, I can't, you can give this to them. 
Give them fodder for their machine gun, right? I'm giving you the contradiction. I'm not afraid of it. You know why people give up on the Bible? Because of apparent contradictions. You know why people gave up on Jesus Christ? Because of an apparent contradiction. Do you know why people want to give up on you? Because of an apparent contradiction. But listen, if you'll give God a hearing, an apparent contradiction reveals an amazing truth. And if you'll give God a hearing, this apparent contradiction reveals some amazing truths about your Savior and about you as a disciple of Jesus Christ. So I ask you today, will you give God a hearing to explain an apparent contradiction? That's the message, an apparent contradiction. Let's pray, and then we'll dive in a little bit, okay? Lord, we love you today, and we ask your blessing and your help on your word. This is your word, dear Lord, and it's your Holy Spirit that inspires it, and it's your Holy Spirit that gives understanding for it, Lord, and we just come as... We just come as needy people, Lord, just asking for bread from heaven now, Lord. Teach us, dear God. Show us. Open now mine eyes, that I may behold wondrous things out of thy law. And if someone sits in our midst today, Lord, doesn't know Jesus Christ as Savior, please, Lord, show them their need. I don't want to be the one to show it to them, Lord, because that's not going to really stick. But if you can impress upon them that they're lost without Christ, then, Lord, they're not far from the kingdom of God. And Lord, for the many saints sitting here today that might just need some help, they might not even know they need help, Lord. The Laodicean Christian knows not that he's poor and wretched, miserable, blind, and naked. So Lord, draw us, help us, strengthen us. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, stay right there in John chapter 1. Here's my first point, and it's going to be a big one, all right? The Lord Jesus Christ is an apparent contradiction. You know that? Jesus Christ himself is an apparent contradiction. He drove people nuts, literally, because they just couldn't get it. They just couldn't wrap their mind around, how can you tell me you're here and you're God and you're in heaven and you're God? It's just, it, people's heads blew off their necks when he said some things to them. And in John chapter 1, you see right there, how could Jesus Christ to claim to show his disciples the Father if no man has ever seen God? I mean, let's just be real. That is a, that is just gives you mental agita, a little mental indigestion, all right? It's just a little like, huh? John 1.18, no man has seen God at any time. The only begotten Son, which is in the bosom of the Father, he hath declared him. Now we got a little more light. So the Lord Jesus Christ is the declaration of God. He is the revelation of God to the world. Now look across your page at John 1.1. 1, 1. And notice it says in the first few words of John 1.1, 1, 1, it says, in the beginning was the Word, capital W. All right? The Word was, the Word was Jesus Christ, pre-incarnate title. All right? So you always say, who'd they call him before Jesus Christ got that name, Jesus of Nazareth? The name was the Word. He is and was the Word. The Word. He is the Word of God, Literally. He is the Word. Now, saints, why do you think we make such a big deal about the Bible? (laughs) You get it now? (laughs) Because that book that you hold in your hands is Jesus Christ in words. He is the incarnate Word, and that is the written Word. And my goodness, sometimes the parallels are awfully close. I know you could put the Bible down and step on it and you can't step on God. I know you could burn your Bible and you can't burn God. But that, if he's called the Word and that's the Word, that means that book is your only means of knowing God. If Jesus said, I am the way and he is the Word, how do you get to God? Through visions? No. Through feelings? No. You get to him through the Word. That's why I make such a big deal about the Word. That's why I don't like to see you even put your Bible on the floor. Because it's just not the spot where it's supposed to be. All right? My microphone fell off. That's my bad. It's my bad. That's me. I got too excited. My Italian got going. And it's not the sound guys. It's this guy. All right? There we go. All right. There we go. Sorry, guys. Um, Stay with me now. Now, look at John 1 and look look at the end of the verse. It says, and the Word was God. 
It says that in your Bible? Not a God, but it says, and the word was God. Okay. How could that be? How could the word be God? Well, let's just think about that for a second. Don't your words reveal who you are? Isn't that the truth? I mean, your mind and your thoughts and your heart, that's who you really are, by the way. You know, if somebody goes to war and has a leg blown off, even though they might deal with PTSD and a lot of problems, they got to be convinced that they're still the same person, right? Because you're not your body, right? You're more than your body. Somebody can be sitting there and being an invalid, but they're still, they still have their faculties, their mind, their heart, their will, their volition. That's who they really are. Because one day you'll lay this body to rest and you won't stop existing, Because you're more than your body, right? And you reveal who you really are with your words. That's your means of revealing everything about yourself. If I'm going to ask you what you think about something, how are you going to reveal it? In a tribal dance? You're going to paint a picture? No, what you're probably going to do is you're going to say something or write something to reveal what you think. You're going to reveal yourself in words. We're not talking anything too deep or mystical here. That's why people write books, right? you got all these presidential candidates, and they've all probably published a book, and they're all scouring each other's book. Why? To see what people think about stuff. Because you reveal your mind and your heart in words. Hey, I read a lot of Shakespeare. Don't judge me. I had to read a lot of Shakespeare for college. I had a Shakespeare class, and I had to read like every play he wrote. So I remember two days before the final, or a few days before the final, I sat there in my basement of my mom's house with a stack of Shakespeare books and acted them all out loud. I got an A in the class. I just wanted you to know that, right? But you know, after reading all that Shakespeare and Fartles and Bodkins and all that stuff that he talks about, you know what? You start to understand a little bit of the mind of the author. Right, you read a lot of books, maybe you got that series, you've read a lot of Stephen King, or a lot of this guy, I won't read Stephen King, he's a weird guy, but you know, you read a lot of this guy, whatever that guy, whatever it is, you know, you start to get a little bit of a mind of the author, right? And that's how it is, you read the book, and that person is revealing their mind in words. So it's not confusing to me that the Bible says the word was God, because that revelation is God's mind, it's God's thought, it's who God is. Look at John 1.14. And the Word, capital W, was made flesh. You see that? He revealed himself to us. In the end of verse 18, it says, That Word that was made flesh, he hath declared him. The Word was made flesh to reveal God to us, to show us God's mind, to show us God's heart, to show us what is God really like. Aren't you glad? Because you wouldn't have known who he was if he didn't reveal himself. Right? You could have stared at a tree forever. You could have looked at the stars forever. But if there was no revelation, you'd be guessing. God chose to reveal himself in words so there'd be no guesswork about who he is and what he's like. You know, my father passed away. I've used this illustration. But when my father passed away, the first thing I did was go over to my dad's armoir and ask my mom, did my dad ever write anything, mom? And I found this journal just plop out of there. And I sat there on his bed and I read that whole journal that night. All his writings, all his thoughts, all his musings. Why? I wanted to know what he thought. I wanted to know what he was really like. I wanted to know his mind, his heart. How? By considering his words. I couldn't see him. But I could see his words and kind of learn a little bit more about him. And if you've seen the word made flesh, Jesus is saying, you've seen the Father. You've seen his heart. They'd seen his character. Remember, they're disciples in the upper room, and they're getting ready for a very difficult time when Jesus Christ would be leaving them, and they'd face persecution even unto death. You know what he said? Hey, you've seen the Father. So when that stuff happens, disciples, and you think God doesn't love you or God's forgotten, remember, I was the one that went to the cross. I was the one that stilled the sea. I was the one that fed the multitude. I was the one that opened the blind. I was the one that raised the dead. I was the one that unstopped the ears. I was the one that opened the eyes. Hey, don't ever think that God doesn't care because I'm the one. You've seen the Father. 
I've revealed myself to you, he's saying. You've seen what I'm like, disciples. You've seen my care, my power, my love, my attention, that I'd spend some time talking to a lady at the well when nobody else would. I'd stop for blind Bartimaeus when everybody else told me just to walk on by. See what he's doing there? He's saying, folks, you know God's heart more than you realize it. He's not as mystical as you want to make him out to be. I came down here and I walked among you. You've seen the Father's heart. You know the Father's mind. You know it. But I admit, it is an apparent contradiction. Because I can't see your mind. I wish I could. I wish I could go in there and like turn the knob on it or something to make you not so stunad all the time. But I can't, right? I can't see your mind, but I can see the expression of your thoughts. I can hear your words. I can see those things. I can deal with those things. No man hath seen God, but they could see the expression of God declared in Jesus Christ. Stay with me. We're going to get better. Go to 2 Corinthians 4. So we're just getting warmed up here. All right? And I'm way too warmed up. I'm knocking microphones and papers off there. There's a dead cricket on the floor. Hey, why not? He's looking for his friend in the back, right? <laughs> or his friend's looking for him. Marco, Polo. Nope, no, he's fine. Right? <clears throat> anyway, so Jesus Christ is all men could know of God and all men could see of God. So to 2 Corinthians 4.4, 4, the Bible says, In whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ who is the image of God, should shine unto them. So Jesus Christ is the image of God. He's an appearance of God. He's a a show of God. Or to put it the Bible way, he is God manifest in the flesh. Now, if your Bible doesn't say God was manifest in the flesh, we got some King James Bibles in the back. You might want to take one of those because the King James Bible says, without controversy, great was this, and without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh, 1 Timothy 3.16. God was manifest in the flesh. Or is there any doubt about who Jesus Christ is and was and forever will be? He was God manifest in the flesh. Now go to Colossians chapter 1. Keep reading with me. Colossians 1.15. It's speaking of Christ. We go all the way back to, I don't know where you go back to. Uh, Verse 13 talks about the Son. And verse 15 says that that Son of God, capital S, is the image, that's what you can see, of the invisible, what you can see, God. You with me? Jesus Christ is all you can see, of a God that you cannot see. Amen. That's a contradiction, isn't it? That's a little bit, you know, but that's, that's how it is. Let's put it this way. If, if my son or my daughter were not here, right, they're out of sight, and I wanted to show you what they were like, I would show you their image. I'd say, here's, you know, look at that picture, right? Now, that picture is not who they are, but it is who they are at the same time, right? So you can't see God. But he says, here's his image, Jesus Christ. Now stay with me, stay with me, stay with me. Go to uh, Hebrews chapter 1. Some of you look like you might be thinking. And that's a good thing. It might have probably been the first time in a few years. But that's okay, right? I know it's September. We go back to school. That's why it's, that's why we're brought to this message. That was for Rachel. All right, so for, uh, uh, Hebrews 1. God. Verse 1, who at sundry times and in diverse manners spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son, capital S, whom we have appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the worlds, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person. Jesus Christ is the plain, clear, expressed image of God's person. When God wanted to reveal himself, he says, I'm showing up in the person of Jesus Christ. And Colossians 2.9 says, in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. You got me? So go to John chapter 8 now. Go back to John 8. 
You say, do you understand that? Not totally, I'll be honest with you. I accept it. I, be- I-, I believe it. I don't necessarily understand it. There's a lot of stuff in school I didn't understand. Right? Multivariable calculus still gives me a time. Um, didn't like that, right? But I know it's there. I know it works. I believe it. doesn't mean I understand it. A little later on, I'm going to stick something in my mouth that's going to supposedly give nutrients to my whole body. I'm not going to understand how that works. I'm going to put that, you know, pizza, whatever it is I'm going to stick in my face. I'm going to put it in my mouth and start, dog, 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 start chewing. And somehow that thing I'm, dog, 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 chewing. It's what I talk about food. But it's going to go and it's supposed to assimilate into my body and carry it around to all the, maybe Alan can explain it, but it's going to do all this stuff. I don't understand it, but hey, brother, I don't stop eating just because I don't understand it. I believe it, but I don't understand it. So just because this thing sounds like, whoa, this is deep stuff. It's not deep stuff. It's God. If you could understand everything about God, you know what that would make you? God. (laughs) But you're not, and I'm not. But I believe, even when I don't understand, I accept, even though I can't put it all together in my little three-pound brain. And that's a good thing that God's bigger than us and smarter than us, and that makes him God. But uh, John 8, 18. Jesus Christ is speaking to a skeptical crowd. They are not friendly. Hostile environment here. They want to kill him. John 8, 18, Jesus says, I am one that bear witness of myself, and the Father that sent me beareth witness of me. Then said they unto him, Where is thy Father? Jesus answered, Ye neither know me nor my Father. If ye had known me, ye should have known my Father also. He's saying, If you know Jesus Christ, and if you do, can you say amen? Amen. You know the Father. You know God, 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 God. You know him. There is no more mystery to you. You know him. You have intimate knowledge of him. That word know is the way Adam knew his wife, right? An intimate connection. It's not just like I know facts about him in a book. No, you have intimate personal knowledge of the infinite God. You do through Jesus Christ. The knucklehead on the corner might not. That's why we give him a track and tell him to get saved. But if you know Jesus Christ, you know, capital G-O-D, you know God. Take that in for a second. I remember being on the street many years ago, and a a brother back then, his name was Chuck Zander. He was standing out tracks, and uh, he handed somebody a track, and that person said, you know God? And I remember him stopping going, yes, I know God. You take that in if you're Are you saved? Say amen. Amen. You know God. You say, oh, you know this guy. You know that ball player. You know this movie star. Oh, I know this person that one time bumped into somebody, that one time bumped into somebody, that one time bumped into somebody, that bumped into somebody who bumped into Donald Trump. You're like, wow, really? That's amazing. You know, did you put that on your story? That's amazing stuff. That's great stuff. And then you know God with nobody between you and him. You have intimate knowledge of the infinite God. It's a shame we treat him like such a stranger, right? And when you receive Jesus Christ, you know what you got, my brother, my sister? You got all of God. When you receive Jesus Christ, you got all of God. That's not blasphemy. That's Bible. And when you worship Jesus Christ, like we worshiped him this morning in song, and we worship him this morning in preaching, and you might worship him this evening or this afternoon in prayer, when you worship the Lord Jesus Christ, you are worshiping God by worshiping God's image. That's not idolatry. That's worship when you're worshiping God's image. Now in the Old Testament, you worship God at the temple. And the temple was God's ordained place to worship him and approach him. But in John 2.21, Jesus spake of the temple of his body. That's where God was dwelling then. That's how you approached him. That's why Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. You ever notice how Jesus Christ never stopped anyone from worshiping him? Isn't that? You say he was a good man? If he let people worship him, he wasn't a good man if he wasn't God. He was an idolater and a blasphemer, and he should have been stoned to death. You can flip the page to John chapter 9, down by verse 35. He heals that blind man. That blind man comes down and it says, and he worshiped him. And Jesus didn't say, get up, you idiot. We're going to get shot with a lightning bolt. Peter did. Peter did. 
Cornelius fell down at Peter's feet. Peter said, stand up. I myself also am a man. Would to God some of the ones that claim to be successors of Peter have followed in Peter's steps in truth. Because you got people not worshiping God, not worshiping Jesus Christ, but worshiping Peter. Peter said, no, 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 I don't want to get zapped. I don't want, I fell into the ocean once. I don't want to have it happen again. He says, get up, right? I'm just a man. And anybody, I don't care how they're dressed or what they look like or how many letters after the name, they're just a man, myself included. And everybody's farts smell, amen? I'll be that crude enough for you, you'll get it. Right, they put their pants on one leg or these days one dress at a time. I don't know how it works, but it's all kinds of stuff. But they're just people. Jesus Christ was a different kind of person because he accepted worship. Hey, the devil said, hey, son of God, all these things will be mine if you fall down and worship me. He said, get thee behind me, Satan, for it is written, thou shalt worship the Lord thy God and him only shalt thou serve. Huh? You said that in the wilderness, and then a few years later, you let a guy worship you? That means you're telling him implicitly, I'm God. I got no problem with you worshiping me. I'm God. They fell down at his feet. They grabbed his ankle after the resurrection. They worshiped him. Peter, uh, Thomas said, my Lord and my God. He didn't say, who told you that? Would you get that out of some kind of book? What is that, some Baptist doctrine you got? Get out of here. No, he's God. He accepted worship because he's God. And you know God. And you can talk to God. And you can draw nigh to God. And you can put your head on the breast of the God-man, Jesus Christ, like the Apostle John did. Ever read how the devil tries to imitate God? You know he's an imitator, right? You ever read about what he does in the tribulation? What does he do? He makes people worship the image of the beast. He's just a copycat. He knew that real worship, you have to come through an image, but it's got to be God's image, Jesus Christ. But the world and the flesh and the devil, they've been counterfeiting. That's why you got people bowing down to statues. You got people bowing down to pictures. You got people spinning this, looking at that, holding this, putting this, doing this, all this stuff. And all that stuff is a satanic counterfeit of the real thing. You need the image, but the image is Jesus Christ. You come to God through his image. That's not idolatry, but everything else is. Everything else is. And it culminates in the tribulation when one day the world will bow down to an image. That's the image of the beast. He's just been getting ready for it. And look at verse 56. I hope that didn't offend you. Right? 56. Jesus Christ still talking to that skeptical crowd, that cantankerous crowd. That, oh, another SAT word. I don't know. Not nice crowd. That's not an SAT word. Um, John 8, 56. Jesus tells them, your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day, and he saw it and was glad. Then said the Jews unto him, thou art not yet 50 years old, and hast thou seen Abraham? You see, they missed God because they gave up on an apparent contradiction. They could not understand how this 30-something-year-old man could be the eternal God. You, Abraham... What are you talking about? You're not even 50. Abraham was thousands of years ago. What are you talking about? And in verse 58, look what happens. Great verse, 58. Here's your verse. John 8, 58, and Exodus 3, 14. You put them together, and you got your canon. Because in Exodus 3, 14, Moses says, what's your name, God? And he says, I am that I am. Tell them I am hath sent you. God says, my name is I am. Exodus 3, 14. Amen. And in John 8, 58, Jesus, who was in the burning bush, reaches back to the burning bush and says, Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Before Abraham was, I am. Amen. That's not bad English. That's good Bible. <laughs> right? That makes my English teacher in me kind of twitch a little bit. Before Abraham was, I am. That doesn't make any sense grammatically, but you know what it makes sense? Theologically. He's saying, I am the I am that was with Moses in the burning bush. And can I tell you something? Those Pharisees knew exactly what he meant. 
They weren't like, what was this about? Does that mean you're one with God in union and agreement and spirit and you have the same mindset? No, they knew exactly what he meant because in verse 59, then took they up stones to cast at him. They were going to stone him for blasphemy because they knew, you're calling yourself the I am? You're calling yourself God? That was blasphemy to them. They were in a rock them. But Jesus Christ slipped through the midst because it wasn't his time yet. They end up rejecting the very God they profess to follow. Why? Because they got stuck on something they didn't understand. They got hung up on an apparent contradiction. And instead of just saying, oh man, Jesus, this is, my brain is turning to marshmallow fluff right now. I can't fathom this, but you know what? I'll trust you, Lord. I'll trust you. Teach me. Help me to understand that. Open thou mine eyes. Instead, they walked on down, tried to get rid of him. That'll be a good lesson for you folks. When you come across something in the Bible that just gives you mental agita, that's a Bible word. No, I'm joking. When you get that kind of mental indigestion, you're kind of like, I don't understand. You know what would be a good thing to do? Lord, teach me. And if you never explain it to me, all right. But too many people like those Pharisees, they give up on God and give up on Jesus Christ because they don't get it. We can't figure it out. Happens in life all the time. How many times does something happen? We thought... Life was supposed to be rosy and wonderful. And we got saved and we served God. It was all going to be hunky-dory. And then God said, wait a second, you're in the gym, man. I'm getting you ready for the real stuff. i got to put some weight on. And you get hit a little bit and God puts some weight on. There's some pressure. There's some resistance. There's some difficulty. There's some trial. You know, we say, hey, this is a contradiction. I thought life was supposed to be rosy and fantastic. And I'm just going to ride off in a carriage with rose petals and doves flying around my head. And God said, that's not life. That's delusion. Oh, God, that's a contradiction. I give up. I quit. I'm out. We get beat by contradictions all the time. Instead of saying, Lord, I don't understand, but I know you do. So I'm just going to hang in there, Lord, because you're coming soon. Uh, We went to the wake yesterday for Mrs. Hutter, 102 years old, and went to heaven. And uh, her daughter, Meg, grabbed me and my wife. We were chatting, and she said, do you get the feeling that the Lord is coming back soon? I said, well, I said, I don't I guess so. I tried to play a little bashful there. I was like, yeah, I think so. But um, I want to ask you something, folks. Will you miss God because of an apparent contradiction? You're going to let it knock you off course and knock you out so close to the end because of something you don't understand, right? Because you're little, and I don't mean this, harshly because your little three pound brain can't fathom the infinite God and what he's doing can you explain electricity to me can you how's it work where does it come from he said I don't know the key on the kite Ben Franklin well he discovered it or he found it but where does it come from how's it work no your lack of understanding doesn't stop you from flipping the white light switch on this morning You did it by faith, right? Why don't you have as much faith in God? He said, well, I don't understand everything. Uh, duh. You still have enough faith to turn on the light switch. How about enough faith to keep coming to God even when you don't understand why you're in the dark? Go to Exodus chapter 33. One more. One more with feeling here. All right? Let's talk about this thing. No man has seen God at any time. I'm launching now into seven other messages here. Uh, Exodus 33, verse 11. Ready? I'm trying to learn you something. Exodus 33, 11. 33, 11. Exodus 33, 11. My mouth is moving faster than my brain can keep up. It says, And the Lord spake unto Moses face to face, as a man speaketh unto his friend. Wait a second. What did Moses see... When he spoke to God, if no man ever saw God, say he spoke to them face to face, but nobody ever saw God. Let's go to Numbers 12. Let's do a little cross-referencing here. Numbers chapter 12. Numbers chapter 12. We call it a Bible church because we study our Bible. Not that other people don't. But we put in our marching orders. It's in our name, so we can't get away from it. We flip through the verses. We look at verses. We think. We get emotional, whatever. But we're trying to think through these things right now, right, and learn some things. Jesus said, take my yoke upon you and learn of me. And in Numbers 12, 6, it says, speaking about God is talking about Moses. And it says, and he said, hear now my words. 
Numbers 12, 6. If there be a prophet among you, I, the Lord, will make myself known unto him in a vision and will speak unto him in a dream. Most prophets got visions, dreams, these, you know, kind of spooky things that would kind of reveal stuff to them. But he says in verse 7, my servant Moses is not so, who is faithful in all mine house. With him will I speak mouth to mouth, even, and here's the word you want to underline, apparently. And the not in dark speeches and the similitude of the Lord shall he behold. Moses saw an appearance of God. He saw a similitude of God. He saw a likeness of God. That is Jesus Christ, that appearing of God. He didn't see God in truth, in full splendor. He saw him apparently. That root word is appearance. He saw an appearance of God. So he saw God... But no man has seen God. Amen. Stay with me and go to Acts chapter 7. Another cross-reference for you. And then we're going to swing it over to you in just a second. Don't get nervous. I'm not trying to be just academic here, but you've got to lay this groundwork. Acts 7, verse 37. Acts 7, 37 says, this is that Moses which said unto the children of Israel, a prophet shall the Lord your God raise up unto you of your brethren. Like unto me, him shall ye hear. Watch this very, very carefully now. This is he, meaning Moses, that was in the church in the wilderness, watch this, with the angel which spake to him in the Mount Sinai. I thought he spoke with God in Mount Sinai. It says there he spoke with the angel. Not an angel, the angel. Amen. Whose angel? God's angel. Amen. The angel of the Lord. Amen. Moses spake with the angel of the Lord. That's a title for Jesus Christ in the Old Testament. He was the appearing or the angel of the Lord. You could take that word angel in your Bible and almost swap it out for the word appearance. Amen. Go to Acts 12, 15. I'll show you. Just flip to the right a little bit. I'll show you. Peter is in jail, right? He gets let out of jail supernaturally. He doesn't even know if he's dreaming. It's just happening so amazingly. He heads back to where the disciples are. He starts banging on the door. Let me in. I got to go to the bathroom, right? He's banging on the door. He's just like, come on. I've been walking a long way. I've been in jail for a long time. They had a porta potty in there. I didn't like it. You know, open up, open up. I really got to go. I'm adding that part in. I'm just adding that in, all right? Don't think that's really... You're like, that's not in mine, all right? But it says in Acts 12, 15... This woman, Rhoda, is just like, it's Peter, it's Peter, it's Peter. She, she, she even forgets to let him in. You realize that? <laughs> He's been in jail like, it's Peter. Stay right there. And she goes running back and she's going to. And it says there in verse 15, they said unto her, thou art mad. In other words, you crazy. But she constantly affirmed that it was even so. Then said they, it is his angel. No, no, it's Peter. It's, no, it's just an appearance of Peter. See, that word angel and appearance they're not things that float around and bring you things. That's not, that's not angels. An angel, an angel is just, it's an appearance. The angel of the Lord is the appearance of God in Jesus Christ. And it's, he appeared. No man has seen God at any time as he truly is. But they saw his angel. They saw his appearance. They saw Christ. No man can see God as he truly is. You know Why? If you saw God in your mortal body, you'd melt. God's got to do something to your body before he brings you into his presence, right? He's going to change our vile body in a few minutes. That way we could stand in the presence of God and not be evaporated into the cosmos. Now, they got that movie Oppenheimer that was out, right? Very popular movie. Talking about the A-bomb and all that stuff. You know those closest to the A-bomb explosion in Hiroshima? They died instantly. Their bodies turned to black char in a moment. It says that nearby, birds burst into flames in midair near that explosion. And dry combustible materials like paper and stuff, they instantly ignited as far as 6,400 feet from where that bomb went off. Things were still just lighting on fire. Why? All that power 
Just they couldn't take it. It just destroyed everything in its wake. And people miles away suffered horrible deaths from radiation poisoning because there was all this power just dropped. Their bodies and the natural world couldn't accommodate it. And we say, that makes sense. Listen, folks, God has more power than a billion A-bombs. You couldn't see God as he is a spirit and truth. Your eyes would melt in your sockets and your tongue would just melt in your mouth. Zechariah says that. It says when he comes back and he comes back in an unsuspecting world, people's eyes and tongues are going to melt in their very bodies. They're going to dry up and they're going like, to almost be like something out of Indiana Jones. You think it's a joke. It's real. This is awesome, massive power that outshines a thousand suns. This is God Almighty. And if he doesn't do something to your body, you can't stand in his presence. You'll burn. And whosoever was not found written in the, lake of, in, the, in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. You say, why are people going to burn forever? Because you can't abide his presence unless God does something to change your body. You'll burn. As long as he's there, you'll burn. Our God is triune. The Bible uses the word Godhead. People put the word Trinity in there. I don't really care either way, but the Bible says the word Godhead. Our triune God is a lot like the sun. He has a body that you can see. Like the light rays from the sun that you can see. That's Jesus Christ, the light of the world. He has a spirit that you can feel. Like the heat rays you can feel. That's the Holy Ghost, the comforter that comforted us in all our tribulation. And he has a soul that you can't feel and you can't see. Like the sun's cosmic rays, that's God the Father. So you could see God's body, but you've never seen God's soul. No man has seen God at any time. He that has seen me has seen the Father. You see, this apparent contradiction is no contradiction at all if you just give God a hearing. Uh, in the la- my last few minutes, can you go back to 2 Corinthians? Can I just swing it around to you a little bit now? I'll, I'll hurry through this. Jesus Christ is an apparent contradiction. Will we say that? We agree on that? Well, if you follow the Lord Jesus Christ like a disciple is supposed to, you don't have to amen that. I'll just slip that in there. Right? You are an apparent contradiction. See 2 Corinthians 4 verse 1? Speaking about the ministry. Therefore, seeing we have this ministry, as we have received mercy, we faint not, but have renounced the hidden things of dishonesty, yikes, not walking in craftiness, ouch, nor handling the word of God deceitfully, yowzer, but by manifestation of the truth, that's what we're supposed to do, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. But if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost, in whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. For we preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who commanded the light to shine out of darkness, hath shined in our hearts, to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Like your Savior, you are all the world can know and see of God. Amen. Verse 5. We preach not ourselves. Like Jesus Christ, the Son of God, declared his Father, we preach Christ to a lost world. That's what we're supposed to be doing. Amen. We're supposed to be declaring him. Amen. Verse 6. Like the Lord Jesus Christ, we have the light of God's presence living inside our temple. 2 Corinthians 6.16 says, Ye are the temple of the living God, as God has said, I will dwell in them. In them. What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost? He's in you, if you're saved. The light that shined out of darkness hath shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Now look at verse 7. Stay with me. Verse 7. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels. Things that smell 
and need to be showered and made up and, and worked out and, you know, you know, dieted and all this stuff that we do to kind of keep this, this rotting corpse looking halfway decent so we don't scare the neighbors, right? That's what we do. We have this treasure. God, in this earthen vessel, this house of clay, that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. We are troubled on every side, but not dist- yet not distressed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Cast down, but not destroyed. Always bearing about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our body. Just like Jesus Christ, we are an apparent contradiction. We're telling people in ourselves that God, 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 dwells in this flesh. That does not make a lot of sense to me or to you or anybody else. How could they crucify the Son of God if he were really God the Son? You ever think about that? How'd you you do that? Strange, isn't it? And likewise, how come we're asked to live a crucified life if we're really the sons of God? Doesn't that seem contradictory to you? Doesn't that run contrary to your natural inclination? I mean, that seems like, like God lives inside this body? Like, why'd my kid get cancer? Why do I have aches and pains? Why do I have doubts and worries? Like, what? Huh? doesn't seem so. And the Son of God says, well, I picked up a cross, and that means you got to pick up a cross. It's just like, but I thought I was the aristocracy of heaven. I thought I was a son of God. I thought I was... Yeah, you thought. It's an apparent contradiction. Spurgeon said, you cannot be Christ's servant if you're not willing to follow him. Cross and all. What do you crave, he says, a crown? Then it must be a crown of thorns if you're to be like him. Do you want to be lifted up? So you shall, but it will be upon a cross. He says, if you're going to follow Jesus Christ, you are all the world will ever know or see of God. See chapter 3, right across your page, chapter 3, verse 2. You see what Paul writes to the Corinthians? He says in 2 Corinthians 3, 2, he says, ye, means all of you, or our epistle, that's a letter, right? Those were words. Written in our hearts, known and read of all men. Jesus Christ was the word sent down from heaven. You see the parallel? Your life is the letter from heaven the world is reading about God. You're an epistle. You're a letter. They're reading about God. And like the Son of God is the angel of the Lord, your appearance should be showing forth and manifesting God to the world around you. You see, that's that, really? You haven't read your Bibles too closely. Don't you remember how they looked at David and said, David, you're as an angel of God to us. You're showing us what God is like. How about Stephen? When they were getting ready to stone Stephen before the Sanhedrin, it says they saw Stephen's face as it had been the face of an angel. That mean he was glowing? No, that means something he was about to say, it was like God was speaking right through him. He was manifesting God in his life. And if you want a one that's even better, Galatians 4.14, Paul writes to the Galatians and says, Ye received me as an angel of God, even as Christ Jesus. I was to you manifesting God, trying to share God with you, trying to be as godly as I could be so you see what God is like. I was the same way an angel, the same way Jesus Christ is the angel of the Lord who showed the world God in that Old Testament times. He said, you, Paul, were like an angel of God to these Galatian people trying to show them what God is like. And you're supposed to be that light. You're supposed to be that appearance. You're supposed to be manifesting God to the world all around you by just the way you live and the way you honor him and the way you obey. Reminds me of a song and the words to go, do they see Jesus in me? That's a tough question. If I'm supposed to be as an angel of God, if I'm supposed to be his representative, his ambassador, just his appearance, 
Man, how much I fall short of that. Do they see Jesus in me? Do they recognize his face? Do I communicate his love and grace? Do they see Jesus in me? And just like your Savior, the Christian today is an apparent contradiction. Because the world sees you now, but no man has ever really seen you. I heard this illustration used, and I'll just use it from a good brother used it many years ago. He steps forward, he says, He that has seen me has seen Pat Mishanya. No man has seen Pat Mishanya at any time. You got that? He that has seen me has seen Pat Mishanya. See, I'm looking at you, I can shake your hand, but nobody's ever seen Pat Mishanya. You know what you've seen? You can see my, you can see my body. But no man has ever seen the real me on the inside. And brethren, if you go to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, we've got two stops left. Like your triune God that created you, and like your triune God that saved you, you are triune. You are a trinity. You are three in one. 1 Thessalonians 5.23 says... And the very God of peace sanctify you wholly, I mean all your parts, and I pray God your whole spirit, that's one, and soul, that's two, and body, that's three, be preserved blameless unto the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He says, like your triune God, you have a spirit, a soul, and a body. I could see your body, but I've never seen that new man on the inside. So you've seen me, but you've never really seen me. And if you flip to 2 Thessalonians, which will be right across the page, chapter 1, same thing with Jesus Christ. He that has seen me has seen the Father. No man has seen God at any time. You saw his body, Jesus Christ, but you didn't see what was on the inside. But when Jesus Christ returns, the world is going to see him as he truly is. And it's been nothing like anybody's ever seen. We can't even paint it. I mean, Peter, James, and John got a preview of it. They fell on the floor. John got a vision of it. He fell on his face. When they see him coming down from Alpha Draconis, and he comes streaking down out of the north, and he comes down, and I'm telling you something, folks, people are going to be calling for the mountains to fall on them because this ain't going to be the lowly Nazarene. This is going to be God coming down. Isaiah says, behold, your God cometh when he comes again. In spirit and in truth. And it says in 2 Thessalonians 1.7, it says, and to you who are troubled, rest with us when the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that know not God and that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, who shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. I mean, can you just see that? Can you try to envision that? This, this warrior, this conquering king, this glorious you know, figure just coming down in gleaming white that outshines the sun, and he's just mowing down his enemies, and he's bringing in everlasting righteousness. There he is, and he has a name on his vesture written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. This is who Jesus Christ really is. And he wrapped all that up in flesh for three and a half years. Why? So he could be a savior. But that's not who he really is. That's not what he really looks like. You've seen him. You saw his body. But one day, you're going to see him as he really is. Amen. The Bible says, then we shall be like him. For we shall see him as he is. Aren't you looking forward to seeing him as he is? Amen. Not on a cross anymore. But with a crown. Many crowns. And I'm trying to, I don't know if I could rev you up before lunch, but I'm trying to rev myself up. Because he's coming soon. He's coming soon. He's coming sooner than he was yesterday. And if tomorrow comes, he'll be coming sooner than he was today. It would be worth your while to make sure you're on the right side of things with him. Because you don't want to be on the wrong side of things with him. Now, if the parallels are true... This contradiction, right? Jesus Christ in a veil of flesh, 
They saw him, but they didn't see God really as he is, and then he comes back. And if you're following him, just as my last thought, I'll try not to break your brain before lunch. But that means that when you return, saints, with Jesus Christ, saints, the world will finally see you as you truly are. They'll see that one on the inside that you've been telling them about, but they've never really seen. But they're going to see him. They're going to see you as you really are. Look at verse 10. When he comes back, it says, when he shall come to be glorified in his saints and to be admired in all them that believe because our testimony among you is believed in that day. In that day when Jesus Christ comes again and you're coming behind him, you know what they're going to look at? They're going to look at you and they're going to see you finally conformed to the image of Jesus Christ and they're going to admire Jesus Christ in you. They're going to say, that's what you look like? Yeah, that's what I really look like. This robe of flesh, I'll drop and rise to seize the everlasting skies and shout while flying through the air. Farewell, farewell, sweet hour of prayer. I'm not going to need a veil. I'm not going to need prayer. They're like those clay pots that Gideon had. I'm going to break that clay pot open, and that light is just going to shine, and we're going to be coming down that mountain with him, and it's going to be the world's going to see it and say, Whoa! Pat! Look at you! Yeah, say, look at me. You like my new digs? You walk in with a new suit, somebody says, Whoa, look at you. You clean up pretty good. Brother, sister, in that day, we're going to clean up pretty good. We're going to clean up really good when we drop the only thing between us and God. When we drop that and we're conformed to the image of Jesus Christ with a body like his, just like him, glorified in the judgment seat of Christ, and we're coming back, my goodness, they're going to admire him in you. Their jaws are going to bounce off the floor and they're going to be like, wow. They're finally going to see what you really look like on the inside. You looking forward to that day? Oh, it's coming soon, man. I don't even know what it looks like. It doth not yet appear what we shall be. But we know that we shall be like him. For we shall see him as he is. I don't care what it looks like, but I'm going to be like Jesus. That's all that matters to me. I'll be conformed to his image. Whatever that means is good. (laughs) People got all different thoughts about it. I've heard them all. Maybe you got some. I don't really care. But you know what? If it's going to be like he is... I can finally say, I can finally say, right, Brian? No, nah, I'm, I'm good. <laughs> people want you know, you give people a track. Hey, can I tell you something about Jesus? No, I'm good. You want to be like, no, you're not good. But in that day, you say, Pat, what's it going to be like? I don't know, but I'll be good. I'll be good. I'll be good. Verse number 11 and 12. Wherefore, because of this also, we pray always for you, that our God would count you worthy of this calling and fulfill all the good pleasure of his goodness and the work of faith with power that the name of our Lord Jesus Christ may be glorified in you now, today, and ye in him, according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. He says, hey guys, this is happening. This is not science fiction. This is happening. You are going to be conformed to Jesus Christ. You're supposed to return with him and rule with him. He says, this is happening. Because this is happening, I'm praying that you're found worthy. Are you walking worthy today to be counted worthy in that day? Because like Jesus Christ, the more you manifest God in your life now, the more you shine like him later and manifest him later. And the more your life declares God now, the more you'll let others know in eternity what God was like. It doesn't stop at the rapture, folks. There's a lot of stuff that happens after that. You see that? Verse 12, if you glorify him now, he'll glorify you later. And the degree of your glory later seems dependent upon the amount of glory you give him now. See, oh, I just can't wait to have that glorified body. I just can't wait to shine with the brightness of the firmament. Well, then, are you letting your light shine now? Because it seems like the degree to which you shine later is the degree to which you shine now. If you let it shine now, God's going to let it shine later. But if you hide it under a bushel, 
May not be too bright later. So if you know Jesus Christ, can I tell you something as we close? You know God. That's great. That's fantastic. That's unbelievable. That was worth the price of admission, and it was free. Right? That's great. If you don't know Jesus Christ, you don't know the Father. I don't mean that to be harsh or bigoted, but if you don't know Jesus Christ, you don't know God. You might be religious. You might perform religious exercises seven days a week, 365 days of the year, and you don't know God because you only come to God through Jesus Christ. I didn't say that. Take it up with him. He said, I am the way. Now, if you've believed on Jesus Christ to save you, God expects you to follow him. Is your life a contradiction? You see how I spun that around on you? We're talking about the contradictions in the Bible, but is there a contradiction in your walk? God says, I saved you. I cleaned you. I got this future for you. Are you trying to follow me? Oh, no, I'm really not. Well, then you're going against what God said. That's a contradiction. Contra against diction, what is spoken. You're contradicting. You're going against what God said is his will for your life. Are you a contradiction? I can resolve the contradictions in the Bible, but only you can resolve the contradictions in you. You might have to do some business with God and say, Lord, where am I walking contrary to what you've said? Where am I a contradiction? And Lord, help me to get my walk going in the way you said I should go. Let's bow our heads.